The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. Good morning again. Still awake? More awake? <laughs> um, so uh, this talk, I thought I would um, title, uh, borrow a title from Kabir. The fish in the sea is not thirsty. It's a talk on craving and waking. The fish in the sea is not thirsty. Uh, this time of year, as I mentioned earlier, is um, often an auspicious or powerful time of year um, for some of you coming from backgrounds of, you know, Easter Sunday or Passover or another tradition or the spring. Um, honoring birth and rebirth, renewal. We can already see the, 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 the changes with a little bit of rain and a little bit of warmth. Um, I'm aware that the, the bunnies in the yard are already hopping and, and, and just the delight of seeing them um, come across the yard. Um, and the eagles along the river and then the ducks and the geese just lovely to see the life returning. And then, of course, us, us uh, human two-leggeds um, a couple days ago just uh, filling up the, the river paths and the lake paths and biking and jogging and people actually saying hi. <laughs> it's really kind of nice. I'm like, what's wrong? Oh, right. <laughs> so our theme is on uh, freedom. And uh, what gets in the way of freedom? What creates this suffering? What, what obscures um, our, our being, um, remembering who we are and living from that space of freedom? So uh, Ajahn Suchito talks about tanha as meaning thirst. It's not a chosen kind of desire. It's a reflex it's the desire to pull something in and feed on it. It's the desire that's never satisfied. It just shifts from one sense base to another. Do you ever notice that? You're like, okay, after this talk, hmm, let's see, brunch, hmm, let's see. <laughs> Before, maybe a half hour ago, an hour ago, you're like, oh, I got to get to the Dharma talk. And, and there's different kinds of desire. And we're going to just review the three types of desire, the three types of tanha. And there's sense craving, kama tanha, which is the craving for sense objects, you know, maybe those chocolate Easter eggs, um, which provide a pleasant feeling, craving for sensory pleasures. And then there's um, bahavak tanha, which is the craving to be craving to be something, to unite with an experience. This includes craving to be solid and ongoing, you know, our search for the fountain of youth. Um, this is um, to being that has a past and a future that's craving to prevail, maybe some power or dominance or certain successes. And then there's the opposite, um, the bibhaba tanha, which is the craving not to be, the craving not to experience. You know, it's sort of that existential where we just 
want to, uh, what is it, that alienation or nihilism, right? So that sense of, I don't want anything to do with the world. I want to be nothing, a wish to be separated from painful feelings, disconnect. Um, Wapola Rahula states that tanha includes not only desire for sense pleasures, wealth, and power, but also the desire for and attachment to ideas, ideals, views, opinions, theories, concepts, and beliefs. I had an opportunity to go to a couple of Passover seders um, this weekend, and I haven't been to any for quite a while, and I was raised in a Jewish tradition, and we used to have quite lengthy, full-on seders. They were actually quite joyful after all the stress of getting ready for them. And they had great food, um, All and these did as well. And in that experience, we were at the table, and, and there was a young man next to me, the son of our host, and he had this tattoo on his arm, and he was sitting by me, and I asked him about this uh, circular tattoo with different equations on it, and, and he, it was quite meaningful for him. But then, suddenly, there were views and opinions from other people at the table. How are you going to get a job with that tattoo? And what if I, if I had to hire somebody between a tattoo and a non-tattoo? And, and somebody else who had um, some beautiful pheasant feathers in her hat, who had killed the pheasant whose feathers she was wearing, which I was watching my views and opinions, <laughs> as she was swaying her head side to side and almost getting them in the eyeballs of her partner. And, and I... So there were all these views and opinions, and then people were talking about tattoos, and 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 I, I was just, and I'm looking at my husband, I'm going, oh, and then I'm thinking, oh, well, look at what you're doing, too. So, <laughs> so we get really caught up in all of this. So um, um, Ron Liefer, who is a, um, who's like a, a kind of a radical psychiatrist, um he talks about the desire for life is present in the body at birth. It's a homostatic, hormonal, reflexive mechanism. At the more subtle level of ego, the desire for life is the ego striving to establish itself, to solidify itself, to gain a secure foothold, to prevail and dominate, and so to enjoy the sensuous delights of the phenomenal world. The desire for life manifests itself in all of ego's selfish, ambitious strivings. As I mentioned earlier, um, Shuchito says that craving is not a decision, it's a reflex. And Trungpa also mentions about this, it's such a strong impulse. It's, it's like, we're kind of like, huh? It's, it's beyond what he calls, um, let me quote this about, he said, this is beyond Weight Watchers type of craving. He said, this is, this is the type of thing where, you know, you've already done it and you're like, what happened? You know, do, do you know that experience? Like, like you're like, okay, really, you know, I'm really going to stay aware and awake. And the craving just sort of takes over. It has this quality. It's like, it's like it's all of our cells are just sort of wired. And, and the thing not to misunderstand is that the Buddha talked about these two types of craving that lead to, you know, the, the cause of suffering, the second noble truth, the cause of suffering, is that, you know, there's this, this, this inborn craving, you know, to become, to, to, um, to, to live. 
And and then there, there's the attachment, right? There's the attachment, and we get caught up in those three types of craving. And then there's the wholesome craving, which is called chanda, which is the desire to awaken, to to for liberation, to have help others, to recognize that the attachment is the cause of suffering, and move into not detachment or nihilism, but non-attachment, and to enjoy the experience of being a human being, and at the same time to free ourselves from this type of um, more of this um, chain of suffering that caused from just being um, ignorant about the power of craving. So when we understand that it's, it's not our fault that we crave, right? We don't have to blame ourselves, but we can recognize that we don't need to be just um, at the mercy of craving. And we can transform it in a positive way. I like these, um, I came across some these, what I hadn't heard before was these qualities that go along with each of the different kinds of craving. And one of it is what I've been talking about is this non-deliberate quality that Trungpa mentioned. And I'll read you the quote. He said, um, craving is like someone who's extremely hungry. Such a person doesn't actually think in terms of eating the food, chewing, and swallowing it. Instead, the food just goes into the stomach. There's no effort involved. Craving in this case is not so much what we, what the Weight Watchers Club talks about, but genuine craving. It actually just happens. We could say to somebody, literally, I don't know what happened. I just did it. It happened to me. And it happens constantly. So it's an instant craving rather than a deliberate craving. And at that level, there's no intellectualization involved. And then there's another quality to the craving, which I thought was really interesting, which was called bipolar. (laughs) Tanha encompasses both the desire to get something and its opposite to get rid of it. So we talk about craving and aversion that create that chain of suffering. And uh, Leifer says that tanha is bipolar, divided into greed and hatred or passion and aggression. On one hand is the desire to have something, to possess it, to experience, to pull it in, to own it. And on the other is the desire to avoid it, right? To keep it away, to reject it, renounce it, destroy it. And we call these two poles desire and aversion. So... um, what I noticed was even preparing for this talk, that often preparing for a Dharma talk, which is part of my practice, is that um, there's a lot of craving and aversion. There's that I feel bipolar because it's like I find all this great material and I have more than enough to cover, I think. And I, I'm like really excited and I get into this passion and I want to share it. But then, but then I have a version because I don't think I can do it very well. And, and then I have, you know, this sense of conceit and self arising. And there's this whole bipolar scenario going on even as I speak. And, uh, you know, just take a moment and maybe notice that. Like, how does, how does that actually feel? How do you viscerally experience that or where are places in your life where there is this this bipolar quality of both desire wanting but also aversion and how much of that goes on for us throughout the day and then the third quality of of the um, different types of craving is the unsatisfactory 
unquenchable, sometimes called addictive quality. Tanhas represented by um, like an image of a group of people drinking beer or partying. The more the drink, right, the more the craving grows. And that desire means deprivation. Thirst is a desire for water that occurs in the absence of water. Hunger is a feeling of lacking food. But desiring means not having, being frustrated and suffering. And I want to go back to something here that, um, how it was described, which maybe you can relate to, is that, um, that desire that keeps shifting, as I mentioned, from one sense experience to another, um, it's um, one emotional need to a next, one sense of achievement to the next. You know how it, it never quite satisfies, like you finish one thing, ah, and then now what? And then there's the next thing. So um, it's the desire that comes from a black hole of need, a black hole of need. However small and manageable that it is, the Buddha said that regardless of its specific topics, that the thirst relates to these three types of craving. And that the most important insight is to have the insight that craving is suffering. So the good news is when we recognize that this insatiable craving this desire for things and this insatiable need for different types of pleasure, for attachments to views and beliefs, for all of these things is actually creating suffering. What happens when we have insight into, oh, this is the nature of suffering? Does does desire go away? No. But does it continue to be as great a problem? Does it continue to disconnect us, but we actually have insight. Oh, when we notice that there's the craving, when we recognize there's the suffering, what happens? Letting go, right? Non-attachment, recognition. It's a moment of waking up. Oh, I've been at the effect of craving. You know, like when I was at that dinner table the other night, um, I was like, oh, oh, there's a lot of judging and craving and aversion. And then there was just like, oh, and then I felt compassion for the whole thing, for me, for them, for the whole situation, and a little humor. Like, aren't we human beings delightful? And I was actually enjoying watching the feather, enjoying, you know, <laughs> noticing people, things, thinking, oh, well, that's just one of the reasons why I, as a Jew, became anti-Semitic at one point. <laughs> it's like, I mean, you know, not, not to mean offense, but just, just kind of noticing, oh, yeah, here we are, human beings, you know, judging and commenting and getting views and getting lost. And then in the midst of this, there was a nine-week-old newborn who was being happily, easily shared by her parents and passed around the table to anyone that wanted to hold her. And I mean, if that doesn't just wake you up, I mean, oh, she was lovely, her little head, her little cheeks, those little eyes, that softness, that smell, and just looking at her. And so there was this calm being. It was like a Buddha was in the room with us to remind us of who we were. She was so calm, and her parents would comment. She was a very calm baby. 
And she was just content and calm and present, so present and, and awake and fresh. And, and, and just holding her, it's like, ah, that is our inherent nature. That is who we are. And yes, of course, she at some point craved her, 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 her mother's milk. And of course, at some point needed some tending. But overall was just herself, just that fresh being, birth, new life, right here and now. So, time flies when you're having fun. Mingyur Rinpoche says that attachment is in many ways comparable to addiction, a compulsive dependency on external objects or experiences to manufacture an illusion of wholeness. Unfortunately, like other addictions, attachment becomes more intense over time. So, Obsessions, compulsions, addictions are desires out of control, desires gone wild. But one source suggests that the opposite of tanha is upeka, equanimity. The opposite of this insatiable craving is like that newborn, just equanimity, just being with things as they are. Kabir says, Where spring, the Lord of seasons, reigneth, there the unstruck music sounds of itself. There the streams of light flow in all directions. Few are the men and women who can cross that shore. The fish in the sea is not thirsty. I laugh when I hear the fish in the water is thirsty. Aren't we all like thirsty fish? We're already in the water. We're already awake. Don't grasp the fact that what is most alive of all is inside your own house. So you walk from one holy city to the next with a confused look. Kabir will tell you, go wherever you like, to Calcutta or Tibet. If you can't find where your soul is hidden, for the world for you, the world will never be real. Go over and over, you know, beads, paint weird designs on your forehead, wear your hair matted long and ostentatious. But when deep inside you there's a loaded gun, how can you have God? This is another beautiful Kabir. I said to the wanting creature inside me, what is this river you want to cross? There are no travelers on the river road and no road. Do you see anyone moving about on the bank or nesting? There is no river at all and no boat and no boatman. There is no tow rope either and no one to pull it. There is no ground, no sky, no time, no bank, no ford. There is no body and no mind. Do you believe there's some place that will make the soul less thirsty? In that great absence, you feel nothing. Be strong then and enter your own body. There you have a solid place for your feet. Think about it carefully. Don't go off somewhere else, Kabir says. 
Just throw away all thoughts of imaginary things. Just throw off all thoughts of imaginary things and stand firm in that which you are. Stand firm in that which you are. Anam Tupton says that there's a famous um, um, metaphor that's used in spiritual practice. Um, it's a it's a beautiful Buddhist metaphor of a hopeless, exhausted traveler who has suddenly and unexpectedly found soothing shade beneath a beautiful tree in the mis- in the midst of a vast desert. So we're all these exhausted travelers. You know, we came in fresh as a newborn. You know, we we on some level we couldn't recognize who we were, but it was there. And now as adults, as mature adults, we can recognize. We can recognize this craving. We can see that second noble truth and we can enter into the third noble truth that there is freedom from this craving. We can recognize mindfully, awake, and notice that there's freedom. So we're like all exhausted travelers and that that the tree and the shade of the exhausted traveler coming to rest beneath that beautiful tree is a symbol for the Dharma. The tree and the shade symbolize the Dharma or the path of enlightenment, the Eightfold Path. In that sense, the path to enlightenment is utterly simple, although it may not always be easy. Simple, but not easy. There is no true excuses for us not to really experience the mind. Every excuse is totally invalid and simply an example of ego's resistance. Actually, we all know how to awaken because we all know how to rest. Meditation is about resting Completely. Complete rest includes letting go of all forms of mental effort. So this is not just physical rest. This is complete rest. So what gets in the way of awakening to my true nature here and now? Can we drop? The concepts? Can we drop the ideas that I'm too messed up to awaken? Um, Sumedho talks a lot about sakyaditi. That's that sense of meanness, of conceit, of that ego. This, I am my neurotic story. I am my abuse history. I am this whatever. And now I, my life is ruined or this is that. These stories are very painful causes of suffering. It doesn't mean that we don't have compassion and we don't have to deal with it or come maybe see people like me for therapy. No, this is not a spiritual bypass. But recognizing that attaching to those stories prevents us from recognizing who we are here and now. So I'll begin to finish up here. Um, There is no suffering Anam Tupton Rinpoche says, there is no imprisonment. There's nothing there. When the mind stops maintaining this virtual reality, there no, there's no universe. It's like riding a bicycle. When you ride a bicycle, you have to constantly keep pedaling. And if you pause and stop pedaling, the bicycle doesn't run on its own. 
this imaginary, mind-made, conceptual reality just collapses. Just collapses. This may sound frightening to some of us, like what? But in his book, No Self, No Problem, it's not frightening. It's like just being like that newborn, right? Equanimous, fresh, present. Desires come and go. Sumedho says that, that it's like, this is very practical. You can just watch your personality arise and pass away. And then it can come online again. It doesn't go anywhere. Right? I mean, it's just a natural process. It's like the fish in the water. When self dissolves, everything is already awakened. So I'm going to close with a, uh, a one more comment is that um, Gil Fransdale talks about, there's a wonderful little article on the spectrum of, desi- spectrum of desire. And... Uh, Desire is so inherent to the human condition that life without it is almost inconceivable. It's probably more accurate to call us human desirelings rather than human beings. So how we relate to this desire, how we recognize it. Um, This is a poem that um, Anam Tupton shared um, ad-libbed on um, when his talk last week, and I love it so much, and it helps wake me up, and it helps me have humor about this constant sense of tanha and clinging, and then to transform it to chanta, to the desire to awaken. Friend, please let me, please tell me what I can do about this world. This is Kabir. Friend, please tell me what I can do about this world I hold on to, and keep spinning out. I gave up sewn clothes and wore a robe, but I noticed one day that the cloth was well woven. So I bought some burlap, but I still throw it elegantly over my left shoulder. I pulled back my sexual longings, and now I discover that I'm angry a lot. I gave up rage, and now I noticed I'm greedy all day. I worked hard at dissolving the greed, and now I'm proud of myself. (laughs) When the mind wants to break its link with the world, it still holds on to one thing. Kabir says, listen, my friend, there are few that find the path. (laughs) Anam Tupton says that um, I was at a retreat with him last summer, a week of retreat, and I was re-listening to the talks on some self-retreat this year. And I just began to weep when he said, you know, brought up those comments on the spiritual path is a journey, a journey, and releasing the things, the kleshas, the things that get in the way, that, that cause the suffering, and that we begin to remember who we are. And he says that you are sacred. You are sacred. You are indescribable. 
So we have a few minutes before the kids come in. So uh, go ahead and comment, question. Yes. This has been a great talk for me, I'm Jean. And I, um, one of the things I'm struggling with right now is that I have almost everything I want. And I don't know who I am anymore. I'm not struggling for something at this moment. And it's been interesting. Just I sort of feel like an existential mild crisis around it because... My job is secure, my relationship's secure, my kids are healthy, I have what I need, and it's sort of like, I don't have anything I'm reaching for, and it's sort of, I'm struggling, so this talk was really good, and I'm sort of like, it's a strange thing to have, that mm-hmm. I don't know how to not have a huge goal, and just to be, and just being is very uncomfortable for me right now, so it's, I feel sort of, um, like, ungrateful in some way, but yet I just, it's hard to just be. Actually, that's a powerful insight and to notice, you know, to sit with that discomfort, to recognize and, you know, and to notice we've been wired to in this way of the of the tanha of the craving and of the filling. And so when we stop, it can be really scary and uncomfortable. Who am I without this constant and then enjoy because, of course, Things change. When I went, when I went to one of my teachers, our teacher Stephen Armstrong, one time, and I said, "Oh, I just feel so much content and peace and equanimity." He said, "Mm-hmm, enjoy, mm-hmm, yeah." But when I came in and I was really struggling and sitting with some of this stuff, he'd go, "Good, good practice." <laughs> so it's sort of like when it comes like that. But also, this is, you know, we that's we're sort of addicted to this doing in our society you know, um, reinforces that. So, so I think just sitting with it and, and noticing the discomfort and, 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 and having compassion for that kind of suffering too, you know. Yes, what else? We're already free. We're, we're just fish swimming in the, in the sea. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.